Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. It's co-hosts Sue Tab and Kendra Petroni joining you via Zoom today. We, like everyone else, have had to pivot, change the way we do things because of the pandemic but probably not to the extent of restaurant owners who have really been forced to rethink their models, to get very innovative, and to conduct business in a very unique way. Yeah, we have one such business owner on with us today. She's Kristen Canty, owner of several restaurants, including Woods Hill Table and Woods Hill Table Pier 4. She's also a farm owner and supporter and well-known for her back-to-basics approach using pasture-raised meats, wild seafood, soaked grains, and organic vegetables in all of her recipes. Kristen, your Pier 4 location, it's the Seaport's first farm-to-table restaurant with its legendary waterfront location, you opened during the pandemic. What in the world was that like to pull off? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it was a lot. Um, we opened in November of 2019, and then we closed right down. We were like gearing up for summer because we have um, these garage doors that opened up to our bar. We were so excited for our outdoor patio that, like you said, overlooks the Boston Harbor. And, um, and in March, right when we were gearing up for the spring weather, we shut right down, just like everybody else. Mm. How long were you shut down, Kristen? And what sort of things did you have to do? Um, what sort of workarounds did you have to do to get reopened? Um, well, first of all, we, I mean, we needed to get rid of a lot of food. We had a lot of um, waste. We did everything that we could. We fed our staff and made family, made family meals and um, you know, gave some to the, gave away food to the soup kitchens, you know, when it was all first starting. So the first thing that we did was just, um, you know, f- try to figure out, we didn't know how long we were going to be open or if people were even going to feel comfortable coming out to eat. So the first thing we did was just try to figure out, um, you know, if we could, well, what we could serve with using like the bare minimum um, with, so that no more food would go to waste. Um, we, and then, you know, of course, we had to get rid of tables and store tables and, and chairs and, um, you know, make sure everything was distanced and disinfect every, everything and train our staff on COVID and all the rules and regulations. It, 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 was, it seems like so long ago now, but it was so much. And, um, and also make sure that our staff felt comfortable coming back to work. And we needed to make sure that we were um, supplying a safe environment because, um, you know, everybody had been sitting in their homes for so long, afraid to even... Um, 
you know, some of them were even afraid to just walk outside and breathe the air. And so we had to make sure that they felt comfortable coming in and, um, you know, wearing their PPE and, um, and, you know, interacting with people at all. That, you know, that was, um, that was a big step coming in, seeing each other, making sure that we all felt safe and that we were, that everybody was practicing, um, you know, safe practices at home and then how they felt about initially greeting customers and and welcoming people back into the restaurant. And when did you reopen? Um, I think about a week or two after we were allowed to open. It took Mm -hmm. a little while, so probably mid-June, right gearing up for summer. And so that was lucky because um, for the most, obviously we were pretty much outside 100% of the time. Right. So it was, it was nice. So the first thing we did was um, take all of our inside furniture and put it outside because there was, um, even with the garage doors open and all the doors open and the tables six feet apart, um, I don't, I don't know if you've been out at all, but at first, um, you know, the customers just insisted, no matter what, that everybody wanted to be outside. Yeah, I'm sure. And I think that I think that that would have been even without COVID, because it was such a beautiful summer. We were so lucky, for the most part, to have great weather. I was going to ask you, Kristen, about that, because I know over the summer people like expanded their patios and like. Did all of this stuff to, um, you know, to make make people comfortable and, and do more outdoor dining. So is that a silver lining in a way? Like, are there silver linings to this, things that you did differently that now you think, hey, this is actually something that I'm going to keep going and, and have it in place post-pandemic or things that you're doing more efficiently because of the pandemic that will help you moving forward? Yeah, there's, there are a few silver linings. One of them is I just love the outdoor dining. It was so fun that, um, you know, in, in all weather, people would just want to, people want to be outside. Even when it got colder, people wanted to be outside. It was like Europe. And so I really, I do hope that that continues. Um, for the winter, we built igloos right on the water. And, um, and they're so fun. During snow, like it, you know, it snowed all weekend and people were in them and it was like, snowing on the igloo but it was like being like a little snow globe and um and they're heated and um and i'd really love to keep those and so if we can keep embracing just eating outdoors this alfresco dining i i would love it i hope that we can have the igloos next year um i hope that this is over i don't know what's going to happen but oh, I, know. Um, I would <laughs> i would keep we all? <laughs> i know um i would keep the igloos and um and the um expanded outdoor dining i hope um, you know, no, no matter what, COVID or pandemic or no pandemic, um, that I just think it was a lot of fun. Kristen, you have such a back to basics approach and it actually comes from the way that you were personally impacted by the healing power of food. Can you talk about that? I know this, this all began because your son had, had really serious allergies, right? Yeah. My son was diagnosed with, um, literally the doctor told, told me he was allergic to the world when he was four. And, um, That's they gave scary, him, right? <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Grass, dust, um, every animal, every pollen. He, they told me he couldn't, um, exercise outside. Um, you know, he had severe, severe asthma. And, um, yeah, so I, 
all the medications that they were giving me just weren't working. And so I just started researching and found out that kids that grow up on farms don't have as many allergies as those that don't grow up on farms. And that really interested me. And so I, uh, more research led me to the Western Price Foundation, which is a nutritional educational foundation that teaches that our ancestors, um, but really our ancestral diet and whatever our ancestors ate. So if they ate um, fish, it was wild caught. Meat was wild caught or not factory farmed. Um, vegetables were unsprayed. They soaked their grains and they had a lot more enzymes in their diet from healthy soils and from lack of, lack of refrigeration necessitated curing our meats and fermenting our vegetables um, to keep them. And in turn, those, um, you know, those practices actually gave us a healthy dose of enzymes. Um, so that more so than we have today. So we went back to that diet um, and our dairy, um, our dairy was raw, unpasteurized, clean, because the cows were not um, factory farmed. Um, and so uh, we went, and so we went back to that diet and my son was completely cured of his allergies. And that those are the practices that we adhere to at all three of my restaurants. That's amazing. And let's talk about your farm too, because you own a farm in New Hampshire. You're a huge supporter of local farmers. Um, you did a documentary about 10 years ago called Farmageddon. Talk a little bit about, um, about that and then just maybe how the pandemic maybe has impacted farmers. Yeah, well, actually, surprisingly, yes, I made a documentary um, that was released in 2011 and it's still um, able to be viewed on um, Amazon Prime and um, Hulu, Vudu, Gaia TV, um, and iTunes. Um, it's called Farmageddon, the Unseen War on American Family Farms. And it's basically about the difficulty, uh, was, it's government's interference and um, the difficulty that farmers have getting their product directly to consumer um, and the interference with that. And so, yeah, so I'm a huge farm advocate, a huge advocate of direct farm to consumer sales. And, um, and so we try at the restaurant as much as possible to buy from local farmers. Um, in New England, it's, it's very seasonal, but even, um, even in the winter, we, um, we only serve grass-fed meats, 100% um, pasture-raised meats at the restaurant. And, um, and of course, Wild Fish, we, we support New England um, fishermen also, and Island Creek, we, um, you know, we have our raw bar and support our, oyster farm, our New England oyster farmers. And so that's pretty much the, the other principle of our restaurant. Um, and we have our own farm where we raise, our, we raise a lot of the beef, pork, chicken, duck, lamb, and, um, and lay, layers, um, eggs for the restaurant. Um, I'm here right now in Bath, New Hampshire. So the impact that it's had, um, surprisingly, on our local farmers, the pandemic, people got nervous about the meat shortages. So our local farms actually were, um, their sales were very high this summer and it was great. People were really starting to think about where the food was coming from and they were going up to the farms, meeting their farmers, trying to go to the farmer's markets. And our farmers were, um, you know, I was calling farmers because I was trying to put together boxes and trying to support them. And that was another silver lining to the pandemic where that people were really going to area farms trying to get their meat directly from the farmers. So we had a backup at our, at our farm because we supply right to my restaurants. So we, have a, we had a huge backup of meat. So when I processed when our animals this year, instead of um, 
putting huge, um, usually we cut, we um, supply our meat in primals or large cuts and chef butchers the animals themselves um, into the cuts that he wants. Mm -hmm. um, this, this year, I made everything into like one pound little packages for the consumer. So I started a little, a, a tiny business just to our customers. I put it online and locally and we deliver um, bacon and we, um, bacon, we had sausages made with organic spices. We partnered with Teeny Tiny Spice Company. So instead of supplying huge um, amounts of pork to the restaurant, we made tiny one pound sausage packages for the home cook. So. And, and then we've, wow. we've been selling our eggs to, um, to the consumers at the restaurant Wow! because my brunch was shut down. And so, um, it's just incredible how you, you pivoted in so many different ways. And also the fact that you're thinking about how you can help others and how you can just do as much as you can together as a group is so impressive to me. You offer so many kinds of dishes in your restaurant. We talk about any dishes that you maybe really love and you want to share with our listeners. Yeah, well, Chef um, Charlie Foster does, he, I have like the rules, the concept, and he embraces it and uses um, his international training um, to just, uh, he, he has a lot of Spanish influence in his food. Um, and he, he used to work for um, Chef Daniel Belude. Uh, he, he was the executive chef in New York City for DBGB. Um, a very uh, highly acclaimed restaurant in New York City. And he, um, I think that his favorite um, dish right now is the duck. He's very, he adheres to um, the motto of like time and place. And so first of all, he loves using our meat from the farm and he just tries to use seasonal ingredients as much as possible and tries to incorporate all of the, you know, such, seasonal ingredients from New England and um, items from the farm. So right now my favorite dish is the duck from our farm and it's served, it, um, it's served with um, the grapes, the uh, conquered grape jam from our farm and, um, and then with a uh, um, potatoes. So mm, he, you're uh, making so me so I, hungry right I now. Know, right my, now it sounds so good. <laughs> No, that's my favorite dish right now where he incorporated like oh, um, two ingredients from the farm and yeah. that can't always that can't always be done here in new england mm -hmm. um, but, um and then of course some of the favorites from our uh, the burger is very popular at our restaurant and um, at pier four we have the lobster popover so that's another favorite because that's kind of that's a throwback to anthony's pier four and yeah. our restaurant on the original site of Anthony's Paraphor. So we have, um, the, we don't make the popovers on site. We, um, we love to support local artisanal producers also. And um, the popover lady who also sells popovers at the Boston Public Market um, delivers our popovers fresh every day. Oh, and, yeah. Um, I know, and, yeah. and, they're, and they're so good. And so the lobster popover is um, a patio favorite at the restaurant. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. Today, we're talking with restaurateur Kristen Canty about how the pandemic has impacted her industry. She is also a local farmer who brings her passion for sustainable sourcing to her restaurants. Let's get back to our conversation. Farm to table is now a term that more and more people are familiar with. Do you think this is the way of the future for most of us? I hope so. Um, a lot of people were talking about that over the pandemic that um 
you know, that pe people were just really thinking because of the, you know, the, the threat of the national meat shortages um, and the, the thought of, like, like I said earlier, people were starting to think about where their food comes from. And also some people were afraid to go to the larger places for food. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so, and I do see a lot of chefs embracing, um, you know, the local food. And number one, because it's, it, well, number one, because they make a deeper personal relationships with the farmers and the people that are growing their food. And that's always fun. Um, you know, and telling the story of the farm and, and knowing how, um, you know, farming's hard work. And so knowing firsthand the people that are preparing, you know, raising your food, that's, uh, you know, that just adds a whole other level to it. And, um, and also um, the availability um, when the, um, when there weren't a lot of deliveries or mm -hmm. um, thing, you know, th things were getting stuck for whatever reason across state lines, um, people were able to reach out locally. So like I said, that was a, another huge silver lining from the pandemic. People really thinking about where their food was coming from. Yeah, Kristen, you have such a large team of people that support your mission. Who are your biggest cheerleaders and who has been maybe the biggest role model for you? Oh, that's good. Um, I think that my biggest role model are quite honestly, all of the farmers that work so hard taking care of the soil, taking care of the animals, um, growing veg, you know, growing all the vegetables locally, um, especially in New England and in, in our, with our weather and our climate. Um, those are definitely my role models and the people that I want to support. And they have been our biggest cheerleaders too, because it is so much fun to serve, um, you know, for example, the tomatoes, all the, the Walden Woods Project in Concord grow most of our, like 90% of our tomatoes. And I think that we are his, we're, I know that we're their biggest customer. And so at the end of the season, they have their celebratory dinner um, at our restaurant and get to, um, you know, taste all the dishes that we make from their vegetables. And, um, you know, the same thing with my farmers. They raise, you know, obviously they raise the, the duck that I was talking about earlier and the lamb and the chicken. And they, um, you know, at the end of the season, we invite all 10 farmers to eat at our restaurant. And they just, they get to taste everything. And then they feel so appreciated too. So, you know, we really style them all up and, and have a big celebration. I love so that. Mm -hmm. It's so fun. The chefs get to meet the farmers and the farmers, you know, the farmers get a tour of the kitchen um, mm -hmm. and tour of the restaurant. And, and then opposite, and then the opposite time in the summer, normally not this summer, we couldn't do it, but almost every, every other summer, I've shut down the restaurant for a few days and brought all of my staff from the restaurant up to the farm. And we stayed over and played games and bonded over the, you know, over the bonfire and gave the restaurant staff a tour of the farm. And, um, you know, so the, the chef and the farmer bonding is, is um, one of my favorite parts of having the restaurants. Probably Speak that favorite part. Yeah, speaking about your farm and your, um, it, it's sort of to me like your restaurants are part of your extended family because of the whole farm thing. Talk a little bit about your actual family. You have kids. What do you hope they're learning from you, especially now and seeing how you're reacting to these pretty unique challenges? Okay, I have four kids. Oh my goodness. 
and two of them have worked um actually three of them, three of them have worked for me uh, one of them still does right now the other one um, had to stop because she's a dance teacher so she worked for me up until the end of the pandemic um so i um they definitely know where their food comes from and they definitely care a lot about where they get their food um and one of them um, I said the one that actually had the, all of the allergies and was cured from all the allergies, Charlie, he still, he works for me. He's one of my bartenders. So he is by my side, um, you know, five days a week, um, helping, you know, just helping, trying to keep the concept, making sure that the concept's still going and, um, you know, he gets it. So if there's anybody new, he can help explain it to people that, you know, we just try, um, silly, silly example, but someone tried to put strawberries in something last week and like we don't do strawberries in the winter you know even even if it's valentine's day you know we just try we try to stay even in you know even though we're in new england we, we have um exceptions every once in a while but we try to stick to the con you know try to stick to the concept um of mm -hmm. time and place um you know as much as possible and so surprisingly that the kids have all been um you know, they made fun of me when they were in high school. And, but then when they all went to college, every one of them uh, started cooking for themselves immediately and joined, um, joined their local farms at their local colleges, which really shocked me. But, um, yeah. but they all did it. Wow. <laughs> they all joined their co-ops or greenhouses or like, you know, whatever they had right. available at their college and started cooking for themselves. Um, yeah, I was kind of surprised, actually as we all are as mothers when they just make fun of us and then yeah and then all of a sudden you're like wow <laughs> yeah. they're actually listening they're learning they're seeing yeah i'm still yeah. waiting for that yeah. to happen in my house <laughs> It'll happen soon. who knows I, I never in a million years thought that it would have happened like i remember the first day bringing my daughter to college and saying oh look there's a local farm that you can join and and then there was this thing called the good food club and you know i thought she was gonna you know, whatever, just rolling her eyes. And then a week later, she joined it all and, you know, got all excited about it. So, oh, that's um, great. yeah. You know, Kristen, this is a question that I, I can't even imagine what the answer will be, but what have you learned about yourself being a business owner during these times? I, I, I can't even imagine what you've gone through in the last year, but what do you think you've learned about yourself? Oh my goodness. That's a really <laughs> hard question. Um, I told you at the last interview that, and, and when we've spoken personally, that my huge um, go-to guru is Dr. Joe Dispenza. I listened to him a lot during the pandemic of just about uh, not dwelling on it. Just, and I try so hard just not to think about all the bad, um, you know, or not to be afraid. So when I go into those dark places, which I know we all are, um, you know, I just try to, um, stay in the present moment and you know, the rules keep changing for the restaurant like every day we don't know what's going to happen like it closes down it opens back up mm -hmm. <laughs> every, every day it's like a big surprise every day so um so i just try as hard as possible to just live in the present and not yeah. be worried about, not be worried about the future and not think about you know the horrible year that was 2020 I just have to say too, I just have to just quickly mention that when everything started shutting down, Sue and I immediately thought of you because we remembered you talking about the upcoming big opening and it was, you were one of the first business owners and restaurant owners that we were, we were thinking about every step of the way and just wondering 
how you were doing it, but, but you've got a positive attitude, which is so great. That's the only way to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, even in January, we were wondering if we should, we should hibernate and all these other restaurants were hibernating. And we decided instead to just try to push our takeout. And somehow it worked. People started taking out. And then we, we were able to just have these little tiny things like either takeout that started working or the igloos. People actually really embraced the igloos that we put outside. So we just tried to keep changing ourselves. And, um, and we were like, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just have to shut down. And um, so far, knock on wood, it's been working. Yeah. And Kristen, we're seeing, you know, as consumers, like we're seeing the numbers improving, the COVID numbers, we're seeing restrictions, you know, easing up. Are you seeing that? Is it translating as people now coming back into the restaurant? Um, on the weekends. Okay. <laughs> so we don't have like the people aren't in their offices uh, right now. And so we don't have the weekday dinner people we don't have the lunch at all we had to shut down for lunch we do have but we have saturday and sunday brunch so we do still have people that want to celebrate special occasions and so while that is a very um you know that's way way less so the, you know the governor says we can only have 25 percent capacity quite honestly only 25 percent of the people that's a, that wasn't really a problem for us unfortunately because there weren't really more than 25 percent of the people that wanted to eat inside anyway. So, and maybe now that he's raised it to 40, maybe hopefully 40% will feel more comfortable eating inside. But we haven't had a problem with having to turn people away because for the most part, because um, there's, there, um, like I said, it's special occasions and, um, and weekends and, um, and you know, people aren't going out to, people aren't, definitely are not going out to dinner every night the way that people were. They've gotten to habits of cooking for themselves in their homes, and um, and that whole out to dinner every night lifestyle has is you know come hopefully temporarily to an end. Yeah. So, but we are, but we're busy on the weekends. Not you know busy. I um, want to come and eat in an igloo. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to try that igloo. Oh my god! And they're heated. They're heated. Yeah, they're perfectly warm. Yeah. No, I do too. I want to do it. I totally want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and will you keep those like in the summer if it's rainy? Could people go in the igloos or you'll put those away for the winter? I think we'll put them away for the winter because they do they do get too warm, quite honestly. Oh, okay. Um yeah, they would be way too warm in the summer. Because mm -hmm. uh, they're surprisingly they're surprisingly warm in the winter. On those really cold days, um, and if it's windy, um, you know, we tell people to bring blankets. But still yeah. sometimes they ask us to turn the heat off because it gets too warm. Kendra, so. you and I, we're going to go on a road trip and go eat in the igloo. I'm, I'm ready. ready. Yeah. No, honestly, yeah. I am. You have no idea the amount of food I'm going to be eating and how often I will be there in that igloo. <laughs> telling you when we get the chance. Well, thank you, Kristen, so much. You know, we, we wish you continued good health and so much success in all of your business ventures. Honestly, being exceptional is it's even more difficult in this crazy changing world and you are making it look very easy you're truly exceptional and we can't thank you enough for sharing so much of your story and being so honest with us we truly appreciate it thank you thank you so much for having me on you've been listening to exceptional women on magic 106.7 it is our honor and privilege to shine a light on the change makers to provide a platform for people who are out doing meaningful work in our communities 
thank you for paying attention and thank you for helping us create engaging programming. We'd love to hear from you. If you know someone who is making a difference, just email us or send us a message on our Magic Facebook page. I'm Sue Tab, and along with my co-host and producer, Kendra Petroni, we'd like to invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 7.30 for another edition of Exceptional Women. Have a great day, everyone.